Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for just continued grace to go deep in the Word. Lord, to, uh, to love truth through the grace of the Holy Spirit working in our, in our hearts tonight. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your leadership in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, there's lots of different things we could focus on when you're talking about a worldview, but we're going to focus mostly on two different things. The structure of reality and human nature. Okay, we're going we're gonna to put the highlight marker on those two things and uh, we'll go from there. So letter A, in the Platonic worldview, this is the Greek, the Greek worldview, structure of reality, letter A, in the Platonic worldview, reality is dichotomized or divided or split between two distinct realms. Okay? Realm number one, the ideal realm, the intelligible realm of forms. Okay, this might be a little technical. Follow with me and you'll, I, you'll pick it up as we go. This realm quote-unquote, is conceived of and, and, I, and defined as immaterial, unchangeable, and timeless. Okay? This realm, called the ideal realm, it's known as immaterial, unchangeable, and timeless. Forms are located in this realm, and they have a broad range of application, from the size and shape of material object, objects to concepts like justice and beauty and if you've noticed, I've capitalized and, and italicized the first letter there, and you'll see why I did that in just a second. This realm is very abstract, intangible, and ethereal. It is the realm of ideals. Letter B, the ideal realm is understood over against the perceptible or material realm, which is thought to be the home of corrupt and imperfect copies of the ideal forms located in the metaphysical realm or the, the ideal realm. For example, corrupt apples, little, I have a little a there, see that? Corrupt apples versus the ideal apple in the ideal realm. Or corrupt triangles versus the ideal triangle in the ideal realm. The fancy name for this twofold splitting of reality is metaphysical dualism or platonic dualism. Okay? So let me, let me explain what I mean here. If you go and draw a triangle, right? Okay, you have an idea of what a triangle is, right? And you draw a triangle this way, and then you draw the next triangle, and it's a little bit different, but it's still a triangle. But something is, you've got some idea of what a triangle is, called a standard of what a triangle is, an ideal, the ideal perfect triangle, right? Well, you've got this idea of a perfect triangle floating in your head, and you take your pencil and try to write on a chalkboard or a piece of paper a triangle, and it's not, it's not exactly like it. It's, it's imperfect. It's a copy. Okay? And so the Greek world wants to explain, well, where do we get this ideal, and, where do, and, and, and how does it relate to what's around us now? So the Greeks, the, Plato would say that there's a immaterial, abstract, timeless place called the realm, the, the realm of forms. A form, an example of a form is, is the form or the ideal triangle. That's a form. Okay? There's a realm where all of those forms are located. Okay? 
and, and I have access to those forms because my soul, before it was incarnated in my body, was there. <laughs> okay? We're going to look at this. Okay? It's a lot of reincarnation types of stuff. But, but uh, forms can range from anything to... Um, so, and so, societies aim for justice, don't they? This is the Greek worldview. Societies aim for... I'm, I'm explaining things as if I'm explaining them from the Greek worldview. Societies aim for justice, don't they? Do they have perfect justice? No. But they have an idea of big J justice, don't they? Well, Plato would say, where do you get that ideal from? He would say it originated from a place of these ideal forms. That's the ideal realm. Okay? Does this make sense now? Those practical examples. Okay. So if you look at the, the diagram here... You have a, a big split between two different realms. The ideal realm of immaterial abstract forms and the perceptual realm. The ideal realm, according to Plato, is by definition the realm of perfection. The perceptual realm, the, re the material realm, is the place of imperfection. You may have 20 different apples... And we have an idea of maybe in our head what a perfect apple would be. But if you look at 20 different apples, there'll be one that has a little bump here, another one that has a little bump here, one that's a little bigger, one that's a little smaller. Okay? Plato would say those are imperfect copies of the perfect ideal that's located in a different realm. So the ideal, letter E, do you see, do you see the, the diagram? Does the diagram make sense there? Okay. The ideal realm, according to this worldview, is by definition characterized by perfection. Therefore, that which is desirable is located in this abstract, immaterial, ideal realm. The intelligible realm is good in this worldview. So material realm, bad, imperfect. Immaterial realm of the ideals, good to be desired. The perceptible material realm, in contrast, is defined by imperfection and is therefore undesirable and inferior. The material realm is cumbersome according to this view. It's, it's you know, you're, you're constrained by it. You can't reach that, that highest ideal kind of, you know, it's, we're all, we're trapped in, in this material corrupt place, materially corrupt place. Letter F, positive emotions are thus associated with the ideal realm and negative emotions are associated with the perceptible realm. So Plato would look at, at the material world around us, the physical world around us, and would say, yuck. Yuck. See what I'm saying? That's the feeling that the Greeks have towards, towards the material realm. Letter G, the problem with, this, uh, with the world uh, in this framework is materiality itself and the solution or salvation, the solution to the problem, therefore means to escape materiality. Are you tracking with me? So letter H, Christoplatonism identifies heaven, so what Augustine and these guys did, heaven equals the ideal realm. They took this biblical word called heaven, that form, and attached it to this Platonic idea. They, they identify heaven with the ideal realm and the earth with the, the material realm. So the earth is yucky and heaven is desirable. Okay? Okay. Many Christians don't realize that when they use terms like supernatural and in the natural, a platonically influenced worldview is often being assumed. 
Okay? I'm just, I'm just letting you know that. That's, a, that's one, those terms kind of float around sometimes. And the Lord's not like, you know, writhing in anger. Ah, they're using those words. But I have a friend. He encourages people. Go on a natural, supernatural fast for a while. Don't use those words for three weeks. And the reason he has them do that is because every time they would normally use that word, it would force them to think about, why am I using that word? Am I using it in a way that matches Plato more than the Bible? Okay? So I'll throw that out there for you guys to experiment with. We call it break in through that barrier between the supernatural natural realm. Okay, so so again, we're just again we're not doing this. The Lord is. I well, that is. But what do we mean by that? And so we're going to look at that. <laughs> so do you guys are you guys seeing why you know as the yeah yeah as the whole yeah. So that's what we're, we're, the reason we're going through this stuff is all of us have been in this boat, okay? <laughs> that's right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, now let's compare that to the Bible. The biblical Hebraic worldview, the structure of reality. In contrast to the Greek worldview, reality in the Bible is structured as a multi-leveled yet single household tent or tabernacle made up of the heavens plural okay the greek you hear a lot of people talk about heaven but the bible is always using heavens plural okay made up of the heavens and the earth in which god in his humility has chosen to dwell there is dynamic interaction between these different levels the heavens and the earth constitute the domain over which god sits enthroned as king from the height of the heavens Okay, so let's, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens. Now, the Hebrew here is shamayim. Now, what's interesting, which is a plural for the heavens, what's interesting is sometimes Christoplatonism will even spill over through translations. And places where they should translate it, the heavens, will be translated heaven because they're interpreting it through the grid of Plato. And they think, well, this is what it says, right? Well, no, it says heavens there. Well, but he means heaven. No, it's heavens. <laughs> See what I'm saying? And so just to, to let you know that. So, uh, so there'll be a few places like the next verse, Amos 9, 6. He builds, the upper he builds the upper rooms of his palace, or the NIV says lofty palace. The ESV, the NASB, the NRSV, and, and the Young's Literal says upper chambers. He's using language of a building or a house here. In heaven, it should be in the heavens, and sets its foundation supports on the earth. So you have... The picture here of heavens and the earth as a household here, okay? You've got upper levels and lower levels, okay? And God, just because the earth is downstairs doesn't mean that he doesn't hang out downstairs. But I've heard the terminology of second heaven. So wouldn't that... The second heaven would make no sense if there weren't multiple heavens, would it? The third heaven would make no sense if there were not multiple heavens. So we know some of these things, but sometimes we kind of default to that platonic thing called, you know, going to heaven. When I die, hallelujah, bye and bye, I'll fly away. Okay? 
By the way, don't ever sing that song. I'm asking you, please, for my sake, don't ever sing that song. I'll fly away. I'll fly away. Well, and you'll see why. You'll see why. <laughs> okay. So we're, keep, keep tracking with me, people. Keep tracking with me. I should have saved that one for a little bit later after we've explained a little more. But <laughs> He won't leave. He won't leave. Okay. Jailhouse ministry. Well, maybe you can take you, you can work through this teaching with them and see if they still like it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's keep going. Isaiah. I I I know. I gave the disclaimer. Isaiah forty twenty two. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to live in. And uh, Isaiah 66, 1, this is what the Lord says, the heavens are my throne, the earth is my footstool. And remember, a throne and a footstool are connected, aren't they? There's not just like a, a big metal break between the throne and the footstool. It's one, real, it's, it's con one connected reality, isn't it? Now, let's look at a diagram. How's that? The sky, now, the sky is part of the heavens. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, you know, if I were to, I, you know, I want to, um, if you want some resources on some of this stuff that go in even more depth, um, we have a website called the Daniel Training Network. We work through a lot of this stuff we have, we, where we work through the heavens and things like that. It's dtnetwork.org. Um, and a lot of, uh, there will be a few times where I refer you there because we can't go in, we, we don't have time to go into a lot of these things. But that's another example of where what is the second heaven? What's the third heaven? What's the first heaven? What does the Bible teach on these different things? Who's there? What are they doing? How does that affect the way I'm tempted? Like the powers of the air? What does that mean? How are they functioning? And all that kind of thing. Um, so letter B, let's look at a diagram. The household of creation. Now, Genesis 1 and God said, let there be an expanse. This is the word rakia. Okay? And it means a stretching. It's a noun, it's a verbal noun that's derived from the word stretching. Let there be a stretching out. Okay? In the midst of the waters. The Hebrew word is ma'im. And let it separate the waters from the waters. We're getting ready to look at the fishbowl, so hold on to your, your seatbelts here. Verse 7. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse Shamayim, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now notice that heavens are called Shamayim, and waters are Mayim. Do you hear the, how they're related? So um, now a lot of times people, this is taught as you've got the sky and the water. The sky is part of it. Okay? But what he's saying here is that you had these waters called the Mayim, the waters and the, the deep. Remember Genesis 1? The Spirit of God was hovering over the deep, uh, was hovering over the waters. The Tahoma, the deep, and the waters are paralleled there. Okay? The deep, deep waters. And God, the Spirit of God was hovering over them. Now look at, look at 2 Peter 3.5. Let's go back here. Long ago by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And then we, uh, Isaiah 40.22, we just read that he stretches out the heavens like a curtain, 
And so what you have here, look at day two. You have the deep, which is called the home or the waters. Okay? The Spirit of God is brooding over the waters and puts an expanse between the waters. And so look at that little dot. That's the earth made out of water and by water. And then you've got an expanse, a gap there, between the waters outside of the expanse and the waters inside of the expanse. And the earth is made out of the waters inside. And then he takes that expanse and stretches it to make the heavens. So what I'm saying there is that beyond the heavens and the highest heaven is water. And I have no idea what that involves. Or any, it's, I mean, it's a mind blower. We have no grid for what. But all I know is that he, there was water. Based on the scriptures, he put an expanse between two parts of the water, stretched out the expanse, seated at the top of it, set his throne at the top of it, and set a throne on the earth, okay? And they're dynamically interrelated. And that's the heavens and the earth. We kind of are in a fishbowl. And what, that's the, it's mind-blowing. Like You start thinking, what in the world is outside of the heavens then? Okay? But a lot of the times people don't realize the heavens were created, weren't they? He created the heavens and the earth. And a lot of times people talk about the heavens as if they weren't created. Don't they? Like the eternal, the eternal state. But the heavens were created. And if they were created, it means that they had a beginning point in time, which means that there's an experience of time in the heavens just like there is on the earth. But in Platonic thought, the ideal realm has no time. It has no experience of time because the heavens were never created. Do you see, see the difference here? Oh, I'm just having to read it in English. Say that. Okay. In the Greek worldview, the, in the Greek worldview, the ideal realm or the material realm, there's no experience of time because time never came, because nothing was ever created. It was just always was. But in the biblical worldview, God, who is outside of time, but he made the heavens. And so the heavens have a beginning point along with the earth. And so because they have a beginning point, there is an experience of time. They begin. Well, because it says there will be a new heaven. A new heavens, new earth, you know. And, um, well, that shows time, doesn't it? The new, the old. Yeah, I mean, it shows there's a beginning. And sat there's a time where Satan is in the heavens, and then he's cast out of the heavens. It makes no sense if there's no experience of time up there. Now, outside in the... We don't even know. I mean, who knows? God knows. I mean, that, it's, it's a mind blower. So the expanse is heaven. The expanse is the heavens. Because it says a God called the expanse. Heavens. Heaven. He he, and what he did was he said, let there be an expanse. And then he stretched out the expanse and made the heavens. Separated the waters above from the waters below, and the waters below in the earth is what he made. He made the earth out of water and by water. Okay, I mean, what this this is this kind of stuff is like your your mind starts going like, what in the world is going on here? But you realize how the Greek worldview has has influenced our thinking. You know, we talk about you know. We talk about God in some certain ways that are very a lot more Greek sometimes than biblical. Okay, now so that just means God is humble. God, the fact that God would sit enthroned in the heavens or on the earth 
in time so that human beings and angels can access him. I mean, what does that say about God? That he loves his creation and wants to be with them and that he's willing to experience time on some level so that he can experience them. And it's all about who he is ultimately. Okay. So the Bible, letter C, number 12, page 12, letter C. The Bible teaches that creation is very good and originally existed, existed in a state of perfection. Plato says that the material realm is imperfection, but the Bible says God looked at it and called it what? Good, very good. So in the biblical worldview, diversity of life and variation in creation, what I mean by variation in creation is God has no problem with the fact that 20 apples look different because he likes it, because he made them all. He has no problem with the fact that some people are short, some people are tall, some are black, white, yellow, precious in his sight, okay? God likes the diversity of his creation. He's an artist, okay? Um, so in the biblical worldview, there's diverse versus Plato. He, he thinks that's those are corrupt copies of that, you know, those 20 different triangles. What do you, oh, that's, that's gross. That's gross. We want the ideal one in the ideal realm. God says, what are you talking about? I love these different triangles. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Picasso, and I created you, so you better, <laughs> you know, come into line with my, with my perspective. So in the biblical worldview, diversity of life, variation in life, variation in creation, materiality and perfection are not mutually exclusive concepts. God's an artist. So Genesis 1, God saw all that he made. It was very good. And not only did God, his evaluation of it was, it just wasn't that it was good, but he actually enjoyed making it. So he, this is from Proverbs 8. He says, he's talking about wisdom there, and we learn from elsewhere that wisdom is Jesus. He says, I was filled with delight day after day. When he, you know, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day that I was rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole creation and delighting in mankind. That God, far from thinking that the world he created was gross and full of imperfect copies, he he had great pleasure in creating it and great joy in creating it and finds, um, had great emotion. He was, he was weeping with joy and laughing with joy, as he, delighting. Letter E, human beings were commissioned to faithful, loving stewardship and enjoyment of the creation in partnership with God. We know the story. Let them rule over creation. And then God could have named all the animals, but he wanted to see what Adam would name it. So he brings it to Adam. He brings the animals to Adam. And God, you can always feel God enjoying the process of just seeing what his creation is going to do here. And then God, 1 Timothy 6, 17, that God, he, when he created things, he, his intention was our, for us to enjoy it. <clears throat> so he made the, the different trees of the, the, the field. And how many of you like strawberries? How many of you like pineapple? How many of you like your, I mean, these are, your, these are God, you feel pleasure and enjoyment when you eat your favorite foods, don't you? I like barbecue. I'm glad to see that there's a barbecue place in town. When did they build that place? The the little one right across the McDonald's there. Oh yeah, it used to be there. About a year ago. Yeah, you know, Columbia. They got a good barbecue place now. I mean, I don't know. They may have a better place, but but God created these things. You know, our favorite, all these good foods, and and you know, uh, the 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 delights of marriage. Those things are all things that are part of the, the creation that God created, okay? 
and he wants us to enjoy. So these are things that we know. There's no word in the Hebrew language or in the English language that can capture what the Hebrew, the level of enjoyment and pleasure that really was there. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you start thinking about that, and that'll start reject, breaking off a rejection kind of spirit. You know, my body's not this, my body. Think about that in society. Women who are all, what's the ideal of beauty? Think about it. This culture, in our culture, you've got a, what, what's the ideal of, of beauty? It's that, right. But that, that's an example of how women have been enslaved through this idea, right? Is where God looks at all the diversity of women and the different ways that he made them and actually affirms them, you know, how they are and what they look like and their bodies and their body shape and their hair color and all these things. But, but how many women are trapped in insecurity and slave to this, this nagging voice about what it means to be beautiful based on some magazine or commercial. Okay? So the implications for the gospel. According to the Greek world, worldview, the material realm is inherently imperfect. This is letter F. Imper, imper, inherently imperfect, yucky, contemptible, and the cause of our problems is rooted in materiality and physicality. In other words, if I just didn't have this body with these desires, you know, there wouldn't be any problems. Versus, no, this stuff's good. It's just the way I choose to use it. That's the problem. Christoplatonism says that salvation is escape from the material realm at death, death, and destruction of the creation at the second coming or at the end of millennium is to be desired. Okay? And so the earth is not worth keeping, so God trashes it in the end. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that he could annihilate it and burn it all in the end and there'll be no trace of it left. See what I'm saying? No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The biblical Hebraic worldview says that God is faithful to the creation despite its brokenness and, faith and, and fallenness. That God can look on the brokenness of creation. He says, you know what, you're jacked up, but I'm still going to pursue you and come after you and redeem you. So in his mercy, he rescues it from sin and death and restores the creation through the work of the Messiah. At the root of Christoplatonism, therefore, is a denial of the faithfulness of God. God has, is in covenant with his creation. And I use this analogy a lot, but I don't say to my wife, I promise to be faithful to you for 15 years when I get married. I mean, what kind of faithfulness is that? No, God says, I'm going to be faithful to you, for, I, I'm faithful to you forever. So his promise is to restore the creation, not annihilate the creation. So if you ever hear people talking about that one day, even after the millennium, God's just going to destroy it all, trash it all, you know that you're hearing a platonically influenced thought. The reality is that he's going to restore all things. As he says, let's read Acts 3 here. Peter says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven, whom heaven the heavens, must receive until the times of the restoration of all things. Not until you die. The times in which the Messiah comes to restore and fix everything that was lost in the fall. 
to restore perfection that was lost. Okay? Yeah. Right. The word. New, you know, the thing is, the word new gets interpreted as I go buy a new computer and scrap my old one. When the word new there is, it can always mean, re, it also means renewed. Okay. So like we're a new creature. That doesn't mean I'm a scrapped creature right. and I'm a, new, a different creature. Right. It means I am a transformed and renewed same creature. And so, so when it says that, that there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, it says the, because the old order of things is passing away. And it's a new order. And so he's over and over again is talking about that he's going to purge and cleanse the creation of evil, not just completely annihilate it and destroy it so that it doesn't exist. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, God links the covenants to the fact that, he's, that as surely as the moon will not stop shining and the sun won't stop shining. I'll be faithful to you, David. Well, that doesn't mean anything if he's not faithful to sustain the creation. Okay? So, Troy, you had a question? Yeah, I, mean, I just had a revelation. I didn't hear you talking about the word new means renewal or a restoration restoring us. So when he creates us anew, he's restoring us back to the way that he intended for us to be. In the beginning. Right. Right. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to renew it like it was in the beginning. That's why it's the restoration of all things. But it doesn't make any sense. Why would God rest, restore us back to the garden, which was in a state, originally in a state of perfection, if the creation is inherently imperfect? So suddenly, salvation becomes, well, thank God, he's going to destroy this earth because it's so full of imperfection. When God's saying, what are you talking about? I love the creation. And the gospel at its core is that I am faithful to you to fix you, to fix you despite your brokenness. See what I'm saying? And to take you, to restore you back to what it was supposed to be like. See, that right there gives me a more powerful image of God. Because, you know, if I'm working with a piece of pottery and I don't want to destroy it. Absolutely. More talent. And what does it build, reveal about who you are? Yeah, than it is from starting all over scratch. Yeah, exactly. The knowledge of God is at stake. The real thing is the knowledge of who God is, is is at stake in these things. And implicit in almost every Gnostic system of thought. Not have you, Who's heard of Gnosticism? Okay, it's basically systems of thought based on Plato. It's Christoplatonism. Every system of thought, theology, that is based on this stuff... It's got an implicit accusation against the Creator. Now, who do you think has an accusation against the Creator? Absolutely. That's what he's... So Satan has tried to undermine who God is as the Creator, saying that what, the way he's done it isn't right, the way I would have done it, you know, these kinds of things. That's what's actually happening here. Satan is using all of these ideas to try to undermine who God is as Creator and His faithfulness as a loving, merciful creator. Satan has no mercy. Yahweh has mercy. So Yahweh 
Yahweh brings charges against the creation. Repent. If they repent, I have mercy on you. Satan brings accusations because he's a still, he steals, kills, and destroys and wants to see you with him in the lake of fire because he's envious and full of wickedness and iniquity. See the difference? Okay. Exactly. 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 Right. Right. It's true. It's true. But I told, when, I, when Holly and I were talking about this stuff, what she said to me was, "Wow, this is exciting because I actually enjoy life. Like that's the point. That's the point. And and we're gonna." We're going to, uh, you know, you can read through some of these other verses here. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. That God actually wants to live on the earth. He likes it so much. That, um, yes, ma'am. Exactly. That just doesn't ring true to me because God created you. The things you desire to do that does not go against Him. Right. Or environmentalists. Environmentalists, for crying out loud, if you preach the true gospel to an environmentalist, you should say, well, God is going to, you don't need to worry. You just, you need to repent, but not worry about the environment. You do need to repent <laughs> so that you'll be a part of it when He restores it. But He's going to fix it. It's not going anywhere, people. I just want to say it. For the, whoever's listening, <laughs> you know, the earth is not going anywhere. It's going to be renewed. He's going to fill the, no, the cover the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God, isn't he? Are you saying tree huggers are not of God? <laughs> I'm saying that tree huggers, if they repent, they'll be happy. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Okay. So, uh, some ex now look at this. Uh, Romans 8, 18 through 25. Go down to the Romans. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Verse 19. The creation awaits an eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And as we're going to see here, that means in the resurrection, when they, their bodies are renewed. Uh, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that it would be annihilated one day and not exist. You're supposed to catch me on that. I said, I said, the creation, verse. this is Romans 8, verse 20, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. The creation subjected in hope that the creation itself would be annihilated and destroyed and not exist one day. Okay? The creation is hoping for its non-existence. I mean, that makes no sense. It's absurd. That the creation itself is hoping that it will be liberated from death from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. The children of God, when they've been raised from the dead and received their new bodies, the earth wants to be restored too, like the children of God in the resurrection. This is not referring to a great revival ministry. People use this verse to talk about the sons of God being revealed. It has nothing to do with that. It's talking about the sons of God who are revealed in glory at the resurrection when Jesus comes back 
And then the earth, under their leadership, gets restored and renewed. Okay? Verse 23, we know that, or 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have first, the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Not the annihilation of our bodies, not being absent from our bodies on a floaty cloud in the abstract realm, called the ideal realm, renamed heaven. Okay? Now, uh, Greek worldview, human nature. So this goes... Go ahead. I'm, <laughs> I'm going... Yeah. What's up? I'm going back to this statement on page 10. Statement on page 10. All right. Talking about fasting in terms of supernatural. You read it for me the charismatic book, and here the terminology. Exactly. Christoplatonism. Was that the supernatural is the perfect place and the natural is the imperfect. The natural is the imperfect. But in the biblical view, though, all these places coexist together. They're not. In the biblical worldview, it's a singular house and there's not a huge highway, interstate, between the so called ideal realm, the immaterial realm, and the material realm. But God is sovereign. He's ruling over all of it as his kingdom. But because of the fall, the way he has to exercise his, his rule, we're going to talk about that tomorrow night, is the kingdom of God. You know, um, what is the kingdom of God? And how is Christoplatonism tweaked with our understanding of the, the kingdom of God and those, those kinds of issues and the impact for Christian discipleship on those things? And so what ends up happening is Heaven and the immaterial realm, immaterial realm are kind of they're they're equated with one another, and then I I end up I end up uh, as the, well, the church ends up being the agent for the material immaterial realm to be manifested. Okay, so you are you tracking with me here? And the more that the material realm is manifested, the more the, the, the imperfect forms become... See, it's, it's, it's tricky, but uh, as we keep going through it, especially tomorrow, you'll, you'll see kind of what happens when, when we talk about the implication for the, our understanding of the kingdom of God. Right now, tonight, we're focusing mostly on the restoration of creation versus the annihilation of creation and the resurrection of the flesh versus the, the escape from the flesh. So... So Greek world, the, in the Greek worldview, uh, human nature is composed of a body and an immortal soul. Okay? Tomorrow we'll finish going through these, and then we're going to focus on the kingdom of God. And we're going to really ask the Lord to show us from the scriptures the different nuances of the kingdom of God in which they're used and how Christoplatonism has distorted various understandings of the kingdom in church history so that we can be a, a trumpet for the biblical gospel in that. How does that sound? Any questions? What do you guys, I mean, is this, uh, what do you guys think? Any, uh, any feedback? I think it's good I'm just a little concerned in terms of how bad it's going to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I mean, I Lord's faithful.
understanding. understanding of the Bible. Yep. And I was sitting here, I mean, the Lord's convicted me almost of not reading Bibles with commentaries in them. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Just read the straight Bible. Just read the straight Bible and let the Holy Spirit in you. Yep. Understanding. Yep. Because, like, you're sitting here, you know, discussing the creation about the water being separated by the expanse, you know. Yep. And that's a literal translation. I mean, it, you're literally translating it word by word and allowing the just, you know, the picture form in your mind. I'm seeing it happen in my own mind. Right. Instead of read a verse and go down to a commentary and try to figure out right. what it means. It's true. You know what I'm saying? It's true. Yep. Because, wow, just reading this here tonight, how many times have I read Genesis chapter 1? I know. Yeah, and it's... Yeah. And you know that's what I thought, you know, is where the rain came from, was the water up above. Yeah, and is it Psalm one oh four that says God wrapped himself in light? What day did he create light? And light's created, isn't it? So God wrapped the uncreated God wrapped himself in something created. Wow. Wow, and, and how do you see? You have to have what to see? Light, don't you? And so God wrapped himself in something that we could behold. Can you imagine? I mean, the beauty, the beauty of God to wrap himself in something that's going to blow our minds with the colors. I mean, who knows what the glory of God when we're standing face to face with him. Just he wrapped himself in something just to blow our minds with his beauty and glory. And his humi- the humility of the father to wrap himself in light. You know, Jesus wrapped himself in flesh in his humility. But light is created as well, and God, you know, and, and the Father, and, and they, you know, in the, in the scriptures, they look up and they actually see the Father in a bodily form, don't they? Sitting on the throne, the Ancient of Days, that God the Father wraps himself in a body, not because he's limited by it, but because he wants us to be accessible to him. I mean, who is this God that we serve? Who is he? I mean, the cross is an extension of who God's always been. When you, know? you look at when you look at individuals who have never grown up in in a religion or a church, mm-hmm. and they really have never even been taught about God, and then they become a Christian. Mm-hmm. There's and we think they're radical because they picked up this word and they believe that's how they're walking out their faith. Mm-hmm. But really, that's how it's supposed to be. Hmm. You see, they're not tinged by the assumption, right? Because they've never had that, right? They just—they never knew God, so it's right. wrong, for right? And you see, and, they, and a lot of times, you, when you think, "Man, they're so radical," you'll say, "Oh, when someone's been on drugs all their life and da, 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 and never been in church and then become a Christian, they are truly on fire and radical." But really, what it is, it's just that they are not tinged by all that. Right. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes new believers have less barriers yeah. to overcome than people who grew up in church. It's true. Well, let's pray. Let's pray, and then we can go home. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name just to seal these things in our hearts. We thank you, Jesus, that in your mercy you look down on us. 
and that you took joy in creating us and that you're going to take joy in recreating us in the resurrection when you appear, Jesus. We thank you for the restoration of all things versus the, the annihilation of all things. That sin is the thing that's going to be annihilated, but that you're keeping your world and you're going to fix it. That, Lord, we get to hear birds sing forever. That we get to eat oranges and apples and all the things that even in this age of fallenness and brokenness and darkness and sin, we even enjoy now. God, we look forward to the day, oh God, when you come back to restore all things, the restoration of all things. And we groan with the creation. We groan with the creation for the day when you make your dwelling with men on this earth. And we thank you, God, that you're so merciful to us, God, that you lead us into truth. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, seal these things in our hearts. Strengthen us in truth tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.